Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This is the second podcast in which we're looking at collaborations in R&D between the UK and China. And this week, we're focusing in particular on universities. With me to discuss that is Vivian Stern, Director of Universities UK International. Vivian Stern, welcome to the podcast. Hi, nice to be with you. So UK universities have many connections with China, collaborating on both research and on teaching. And China is, of course, a major source of international students as well. Can you give us a sense of the overall scale of this activity? For a long time, China has been the biggest single source country of international students in the UK, about a third of all non-EU students. And the latest figures we have show that there are about 120,000 Chinese students in the UK. And that really has grown very rapidly since the early 2000s when that sort of boom really started. And how important is China to UK universities in comparison with other international partners that we have? Well, so if you think about it, um, there are a number of dimensions to this. Obviously, Chinese students studying in the UK is a very big dimension. It's also one of the most frequent partners UK universities have in research. And there is a very, very rich landscape of collaboration in the delivery of higher education through transnational education in China. Well, let's look a little bit about transnational education and, and educational partnerships between UK universities and Chinese universities, separate to just the, the flow of Chinese students coming in. How have those kind of educational collaborations between institutions changed and grown over the last sort of 10, 15 years? Well, it's, it, I mean, again, it's been a picture of very rapid growth. I mean, I think the last decade or so, we've seen the development of network of collaboration between UK institutions and Chinese partners. UK institutions are one of China's top partners in these sorts of arrangements. And I think the, the you know, the current landscape, there are, there are over 200 UK-China joint programmes now. I mean, really, really significant, including something like 22 or 24 rather joint institutes. And there are also some very significant sort of flagship branch campuses. So Nottingham, Ningbo, Liverpool, Jatong uh, University, XJTLU, that partnership, which is an independent legal entity, is also a very significant development. So it's a very extensive network. It's very rich now, and it, there are a variety of forms it can take. And are there particular disciplines that we see a lot of collaboration between the UK and China, or is it genuinely right across the whole spectrum of activity? No, it is concentrated. So there's a lot of activity in disciplines like business and management, economics, engineering. There is much less, in, for example, the arts and humanities. The, there is a much, a much weaker collaboration and some fairly obvious reasons for that, I think. And when we think about the implications of China to UK universities, again, is there a concentration in some universities rather than others? Have some really invested in this area and others not? Or, or are sort of all UK universities in, in somewhere or other working with, with Chinese institutions? Well, I mean, it is, the, the picture is variable. I mean, there, there is a, a spectrum from institutions that have very, very high proportions of international students coming from China, large networks of research collaboration, uh, big TNE footprints through to institutions that have very little of that. But I, you know, most universities with a significant international footprint have got a China focus, and that's been true for quite a long time. 
And you mentioned in one of your early answers, a couple of universities that actually have Chinese campuses or sort of joint ventures. Can you yeah. give us a, a sense of the history of those and also the kind of the scale of those? Are they, are they small little institutions or are they full size universities? Well, so in the case of both Nottingham Ningbo and um, XJTLU, which is the Liverpool collaboration with Shanghai Jiatong, they're really sizable and they're, they're really they're full spectrum institutions. They've got research activity. They've got a significant profile. The Nottingham Ningbo campus is over 20 years old now and it's really kind of well established in the landscape. And they, they have, you know, these two uh, institutions in particular have a pretty well established um, reputation in China. The Joint Institute landscape is, you know, I think still emerging. So that's a relative, that's a more recent development. And although there has been real appetite, uh, I think both in the UK uh, sector and, and, and within China for that sort of collaboration, those, those networks are perhaps still growing. And you mentioned uh, in relation to one of those campuses, research. And I wanted to sort of move away from education for a moment and, and look now at research collaboration between the UK and China. How important are research collaborations with China to UK universities? Well, as I said, I mean, I think um, over the course of the last few years, China has risen up the ranks very, very fast in terms of its prominence as a research partner for the UK. And I think it's now the second most frequent collaborative partner after the USA. And that's that's grown very, very rapidly over the last few years. And it's a function of the extraordinary level of investment in research in China. And I think it's important to underline this because a lot of the debate about UK's links with China gets dominated by concerns about uh, risk and about you know, the, the dimensions where universities might need to be a bit careful where they're collaborating with partners, particularly in technologies that might potentially have a dual use. But you know, if you look at the performance of China as a research system, there has been a very uh, significant focus on boosting both investment and quality in research output. China's institutional performance has been rising very rapidly. It now has two institutions in the global top 20, according to the THE rankings, uh, and that uh, has developed very fast. And I think you know, the, there, are, there are areas where, frankly, the UK is sustaining its impact in research, partly through collaborating with counterparts in China, simply because the volume of domestically produced research hasn't grown particularly, you know, very strongly in the last few years. And it's through collaboration that institutions are managing to expand their impact and, and grow volume. And I think it's worth underlining this because, I, you know, there's an ecosystem and it's important for UK universities to be able to collaborate with those institutions that are at the forefront of disciplines in China, as well as in other parts of the world. One of the issues too with international collaboration in research anywhere is this issue of funding, which both sets of partners need to get the kind of the double jeopardy problem as, as each set of partners try and secure funding. What's been the impact of that in terms of research? And do we need more kind of joint calls, joint funding systems, or, or is it all sort of working reasonably well organically uh, through UK and Chinese funding systems? Well, so I mean, you're right, double jeopardy is a big problem. And, you know, it's, it's, a real, it's a real obstacle, you know, that gums up the, the way that researchers collaborate with each other. So, you know, that's why we've seen research councils try to strike bilateral agreements with counterparts, including in China, to create a kind of common pot approach or lead agency agreements, which removes some of that 
risk that I can get funding for my part of the project from the UK side, but you don't get it from the Chinese side and vice versa. So that common pot approach is really useful. The problem is, I think in my view, that these agreements tend to be quite limited, quite small in scale and quite discipline specific. So I don't think that kind of lead agency, common pot, bilateral agreement is going to be the, you know, that model won't be the whole answer. It's always quite difficult to get funding agencies to agree, to align funding cycles. And, you know, I think there are, there are many things to recommend that sort of model, but it really only works for those institutions who happen to be interested in collaborating in that particular discipline at that particular time. So one of the things that would be great is if we had a, a broader framework for that sort of collaboration where you could create larger scale, you know, multidisciplinary, bottom-up, funding opportunities. And I, I think that's something that we should be pushing our government on right now, because thinking about how research collaboration is funded in the future, it's clear that Bayes is thinking about that. It's not just about whether we associate to rise in Europe or not, which is at the moment a bit of an open question. The government's investment in research is growing. The currently established models for international collaboration are coming to an end. And we know Bayes is thinking about creating a new funding structure, which has got a kind of working name it's being referred to as blended funds. So now's a good time to be making these arguments for long-term, stable, bottom-up, multidisciplinary funds that allow for individuals to work together with minimum friction as part of the overall landscape. And if I'm right, that's not something that the UK traditionally does with any country. I mean, not just China, but it is a model that other countries have employed when working in collaboration between themselves. Are there good examples that we can draw on to learn some lessons? Yeah, well, actually, I mean, I would point to one example in the UK, which I think is pretty pretty strong by international comparisons. So the co-investigator policies that have been increasingly been deployed within UKRI are very useful. It means that if you need to bring an international collaborator into a project, you can include them in the grant. I think increasing that sort of approach is really welcome. The Netherlands have, has a, a, an approach which is somewhat similar, where, where effectively calls are open to international counterparts to work with Dutch universities. The one that obviously I would point to, and it, 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 it may make me sound like a dreadful old Ramona, but the, the thing that I would point to is Horizon. Horizon is the preeminent example worldwide of that sort of approach. It is a massive common pot. And that's one of the reasons that we'd be very keen to to stay in if we can. But that is the preeminent example of that kind of approach at scale. Now, I do want to ask you about some of the concerns about uh, linking with China. And I do take the point that there's this vast range of positive collaboration with China that uh, sometimes gets forgotten because people always talk about the concerns, but it is nonetheless probably important to mention some of those concerns. And uh, there are issues such as, you know, dual use technologies and security concerns and so on. Uh, And I guess the question is, in this large positive set of collaborations, do we have the right frameworks to enable the kind of extensive collaboration that we do want, but have the right safeguards and protections where important and where necessary? So I think we're getting there. The sector's been focusing intensively on this. As, as you know, we produced guidance a couple of years ago, which we've been trying to embed or help institutions embed within their sort of processes and approaches. And it's important that we do this because I think, you know, we start from the position that it's really important that our researchers can, can, can continue to work with counterparts in China, given how fast that system is developing as one of the leading research systems in the world. But we have to do it with our eyes open. 
And that means getting used to thinking through the dimensions that you've mentioned. So thinking about whether the research that you're engaged in could have a dual use, given that we need to think not only with China, but with other partners around the world, whether or not our national interests are aligned in the security space. And I think it's not clear that that's the case with China. There are also ethical dimensions. So thinking through the extent to which the projects you're engaged with really align with institutional values. And there are, there are considerations around reputation, particularly where you are working in partnership, for example, to deliver, to deliver education in, in disciplines. You have to be, I think, pretty clear that you're not compromising your own values. And you go into partnerships clear about what's important to you as an institution, as well as um, responding to what, what your counterparts require. So as far as I can see it, there are institutions at both ends of the spectrum. So institutions that now have really good systems and processes to make sure that not just at the top level governance, but right through the institution, people are thinking about this, debating it, talking about it. And there are systems for people to flag uh, concerns, to debate you know, the rights and wrongs of certain uh, collaborations. And there are others where I think it still feels pretty new. So I, I think we're on a journey in that respect that over time, this will become habitual in the same way that health and safety is part of the, the culture in institutions. It's not regarded as something that is an imposition. It's understood that this is what enables you to operate effectively as an institution. That's where we need to get to. And certainly all research projects in universities are subject to ethics approval. And possibly that's a model which can build out into some of these areas. Yes, absolutely. And I think the dimensions that people are sort of beginning to get to grips with is how do you inform those discussions and decisions internally? So when you're thinking about um, the evidence you draw on to make decisions about, you know, the appropriateness of, of a partnership in research, we've got some really useful developments. So Bayes has launched the RCAT network, the Research Collaboration Advisory Team. That's a brilliant uh, initiative. It's something we asked for. And it basically means somebody in Bayes who will be, who will respond to you if you've got a question about whether something should be a cause for concern and can help institutions to sort of understand what government knows about uh, particular types of technology. We've also got sector-led initiatives like the Higher Education Export Control Group, which is a sector-owned, you know, initiative to try to bring all those together who've got an interest in export control. And that's, I think that sort of interest, that sort of initiative is going to provide real assistance to institutions at the practical level when they're making these sorts of decisions. So I guess one of the other things that is sometimes raised, and this goes back to the kind of the values point. I mean, UK universities are places of critical inquiry, of academic freedom, and actually places that have a legal responsibility to promote freedom of speech. And of course, there have been concerns raised about some of these issues within China, sometimes that cover the whole country, sometimes within individual institutions. And that makes it difficult for UK universities to actually navigate some of this space. How do they respond to some of those concerns and how do they navigate through the, some of those issues to do with human rights and freedom of speech and so on? Well, I mean, the first thing is that it's clear that the, the, the legal frameworks, the constraints on individuals in China are, are, are different from the operate, this, this sort of environment we're operating in the UK. And you have to acknowledge that. You can't be naive about the fact you're operating in, in an environment in which the people you're working with are subject to 
sorts of influence and control which you know we are not subject to and for us would be very difficult to accept that's what I mean about values so you have to think is there something that will prevent me from upholding the values that are important to our institution around freedom of inquiry and uh, academic freedom if that's the case then I think institutions need to think very hard about whether it's appropriate to do that and I think that's why you don't see a lot of collaboration in humanities to put it bluntly you know, when I when I talk to institutions about this, broadly speaking, you know, there are disciplines where this sort of problem doesn't really arise. There's no restrictions on what can be taught or discussed in a classroom if you're if you're uh, teaching, you know, mathematics or or engineering. But you probably couldn't teach um, political sciences, and and I think that's the kind of debate people have to be honest about with themselves. You know, are there going to be red lines that we find ourselves crossing because of the environment we're working in? But to, frank, to be frank, you know, if universities are delivering higher education outside the UK, um, to some extent or another, these sort of tensions are going to rise in all sorts of places, places where our legal framework and the framework um, that you're operating in overseas don't align. And you need to work through case by case exactly what that's going to mean for you and, and make an informed decision on the basis of that. It's certainly an interesting and in, in- tricky set of things to do but I mean just finally to finish off looking forward how do you think all this is going to develop collaboration between UK universities and Chinese institutions how's that going to develop and go forward over the next five years or so? Look I think China's going to remain a really important partner for us both in research and education I think the the landscape is changing there's certainly a new awareness of the complexity of some of the decisions that that institutions have to take, uh, you know, in in view of the topics that we've discussed today. So I think there's a kind of, there's a reappraisal going on of the uh, nature of the relationship. But, you know, China has a lot to offer the world, both in research and in education. And I think we have a lot to offer China in continuing to educate Chinese students, to collaborate in the delivery of higher education and as a partner in Uh, research. So the question is, how do we make sure that that can continue to flourish in a way that meets our uh, needs and expectations as well as those of Chinese partners? Well, we'll have to see how that goes forward. That's all we've got time for today. But uh, Vivian Stern, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Vivian Stern, Director of Universities UK International. The topic of UK-China research collaboration is being discussed at an event being organised by the Foundation on the 27th of April. Details of that event and how to register, and it's free, are available on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Also on the website are details of all our other events, all our blogs, and all previous editions of this podcast. Until the next time, goodbye.